Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, my guest is a comedian. He has a background in teaching. He's been on Ellen twice, and he has two podcasts, which I have the pleasure of uh, producing. It's my pleasure to introduce Joe D or Joe Dombrowski. Oh my God, here I am. There we go. <laughs> it's fun to do a podcast where I usually do my podcast because it's like we don't have to go anywhere. This yeah. is great. Thanks for having me. You don't have many in-person guests, do you? It's mostly... So I do, just not... I haven't been here. I've been on tour. Right. So I'm recording out of like hotel rooms and like... Oh, you have airports guests at and your... they, Well, not at the, no, I'll do them virtually, okay. but like on like very shoddily mm. do it myself. When I get to come here, this is like a luxury when I have the whole setup. Yeah. But when I have to do it myself, I'm like, <laughs> but I still do it. Still manage to do it. It's it's funny because like all my, um, everyone checking out the NAS podcast is like, oh shit, Blake has a dope studio. And then they'll see that someone I produce for is the same studio and they're like, oh, is is, were they just on Blake's podcast? And it's, it's it's funny that it's cool to have a production space like this. But it it's is funny that you'll start to see other people using a studio space yep. as well. Like a funny thing. So, um, this is a funny story. Monica and Avi records here, right? Yes. Yeah. So Monica and I have only chatted on Instagram, like briefly, but she's a who's who comic of Seattle, mm. also. But the funny thing is, we've never met in person. But you're, you're sitting right where she sits. Wow. That's funny. That's funny. So the thing, the funny thing about her too is I messaged her and I was just like, the first thing I said to her, I was like, I don't know if this, what this means, but I think it's crazy we haven't met yet. She's like, I know, me too. She's like, I was just talking to Nolan about this. And I was like, yeah, me too. It's wild that we haven't been put on a lineup or anything together Dude, or anything where does, yet. Where does Nolan, I really don't, I'm, I'm happy to be in with Nolan and like the associate with him and part of the studio, but where does he fall? Like how do comedians know him? I know he's a comedian himself, but how do they know him? Yeah. Is it cause from third wheel or is it cause of Both. his comedy? Both. Or? I mean like most comics who are recording outside of their own setup will come here because there's not many options for it in Seattle. Plus Nolan as yeah. a comic, like caters to comics doing their stuff here, which is great. Um, but then he's in, he's in lineups all the time. Too like I was I was actually just on a lineup with Nolan uh like a few weeks ago. Oh shit! Mm -hmm. When he's here, <laughs> do, you, do you know Mike Maziotti or whatever the the co the co owner of Third Wheel Podcast? No, but I know I know the name and Nolan has talked to me about him before. I had a at my guests yesterday East Avenue and they're like, hey, doesn't Mike Mozi? I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. It's something I'm I'm guessing it's Italian. Moziati, Ma whatever. Maserati, yeah. Maserati. We know, yeah, we know him. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like. It's just cool how comedy kind of, I feel like that's one of the genres that sneakily like bleeds into other art mediums as well. The key with comedy is to diversify your income, which I'm sure you've heard before. Yeah. And it's like, if you're just performing, you're, you might get burned out, but also like you're all putting all your eggs in one basket. So it's all about doing all of the things and things we get to. And podcasting is the best for, mm. especially for comedy because this is the one place where there's no restrictions on me. Like, this isn't a commercial. This isn't run by a network. This is my podcast where I get to say everything that I want to say yeah. with no filter and no guidelines. So it's like just another uh, method of exposure that you can capitalize on as well, which is really cool creatively speaking. It is crazy. You could just it capitalize. Is. Like, I guess, you, when you're, I guess you're talking when you're singing or even doing comedy, but at the end of the day, it's more... It's very, you can obviously say that's an art form. Oh, yeah. And I think people are now starting to understand even podcasting's an art form. Yep, yep. Well, the, the best part about being a comic, too, is you literally are just capitalizing on being yourself. Yeah. Unless you're a character. 
but uh, that's one of the things that I love most about comedy is that when I'm on stage performing, when my family and friends from home go to a show, yeah. they look at everyone laughing in the audience. They're like, this asshole, he's just doing the same shit he does in my living room. I'm just the same person but now people know that which is cool that's ridiculous it is it is really cool is podcasting like the way, main way comedians collab like i know people comedians do like skits and stuff and like for example if like a hip-hop artist or a band is doing a show with someone else that's not really collaborating you're just on the same same lineup yeah so is that is this how so if they're actually in a studio together that's collaborating but i don't know how else Com- comedians would collaborate if it's not on a podcast or a skit. Yeah, I would say that this is a great way to collaborate with other comics is to have them on your podcast and then trade off and be a guest on theirs as well. Um, being on a lineup together is it's a, you're all you're also doing your own thing, so I wouldn't call it a collaboration unless mm. like I host the show and you know I'm booking my own show and I would love to have you on my show. Like those are really important connections to have too in comedy. Um, but other collaborations are like writing sketch, making videos. Um, we'll give each other tags and write stuff together. Like Orlando, who I just had on mine, like he will watch my set when I'm on and just be like, well, I got a, I got a something for you so that I thought though. of. Yeah. And I will do, I'll do that to other people as well, just because like comics understand it. And it's great to see your set from somebody else's eyes to make it better, mm-hmm. which is which is a cool space. Not everyone's down for that, though. Yeah. <laughs> not everyone's into it. I feel that. So you're not originally from Seattle, though. No. You're, you're here in Seattle now, but you're from like Michigan. Yeah, I'm from Detroit. Detroit. I am from Detroit. I came up in the Detroit scene, which was gritty and hard. What do you mean by gritty? Like actual humor gritty or just like the people? Or... Yeah. So the theme, the uh, the overarching theme of Detroit is this saying that's, well known in the city, which is Detroit hustles harder. Mm. Have you ever heard of that? But um, you know, we it's true. Like it is, <laughs> it's a hard grind. Um, in whatever medium you're trying to make it, unless it's cars, like best of wishes to you. But um, the comedy scene was hard because Detroit is huge, but the comedy scene is so small. Right. So you know, you go to New York, you can get up two or three times a night every night. Detroit you're going to get up three times a week, best luck to you. And you're Mm. driving from spot to spot, like long distances. So if you have the tenacity to do it, you can, but you're not going to do it without like a serious drive to like get things done in this uh, medium. So uh, coming from Detroit to Seattle was a little bit difficult because I left like my scene and what I knew and my connections. And then I came over to Seattle and had to like start uh, brand new, which which luckily was a positive experience for me. But I do feel like I have a network here um, in the comedy scene that I appreciate and really enjoy working with. And why'd you move to Seattle? Uh, My partner got a job here. Yeah, a big one. So it was one of those things where it's like, I was just going on my first tour and we were realizing that I didn't have to be permanent anywhere to continue to make it um, because I could be on tour and live anywhere. Mm -hmm. So uh, we agreed. To come here. So now we're here both thriving. Is that before the pandemic that you realized? Pre-pandy, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So you're ahead of the curve. I feel like a lot of people didn't realize until the pandemic that they can live wherever. Yeah. Do stuff virtually. Well, I guess still virtual has become more common since the pandemic. Well, in comedy too, um, you, pre-pandemic, it was like, you ain't shit until you're in, can we swear on this? What the? Yes. Okay. Oh God, oh God. (laughs) Until you go to New York or L.A. And everyone was always striving to get to New York or L.A. But in the pandemic, as it 
continue to go on. A lot of comics moved to Austin, Texas, which has like a Joe Rogan. Well, it is. Yeah. A big <laughs> pull was Joe Rogan, which, you know, the type of com- there's like that. And then there's extreme alt comedy going on over there, too, which is cool to see that it's got a booming scene. Wait, what's alt comedy? Uh, alternative, like a little bit. Like Bo Burn, Burn, whatever that guy's I, name is. I guess you would call Bo Burnham alt. I guess you would, but uh, like a little bit, um, not mainstream. A little darker. Maybe the subject matter's a little bit different. Maybe they're kooky, doing a little character or something. Or it's, it's, I can't describe it other than different. Then how do you find like a fan base? I don't feel like. You I got, guess you guess you can put it on YouTube, I guess. This or? is the best thing about comedy. Doesn't matter if you're alt, if you're mainstream, like whatever it is. When you can hone in on a specific type of people, yeah, there that that small percentage is actually enormous. Mm. So once you get your stuff out there and you start like making this certain type of fan, there's that certain type of fan in every city. So once people like start loving you more people like that will love you all over, which is like the name of the game. Yeah. It's cool. I think artists are still trying to, are kind of struggling with how to, how to do that. Cause like, if there's like a sound that's blowing up on the mainstream, a lot of artists feel like that's how they have to go to make their bag. But I, I really think there's a lot that different genres and art forms can take away from each other. But it's, it's, it's cool how comedy knows different ways and avenues to make money. Versus, but also they, you have the luxury of being able to f- perform a lot. I feel like a lot of artists aren't performing every night, and if they are, it's it's mostly just um, open mics, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess comedians do open mics too. But eventually, you can, you know, what is that when you have a when you have like a set at a club every week or something that headlining? Yeah, headlining a club or something. You can't really do that as commonly as an artist. Well, it's about um, level. So like your your base level comic is an open micer. So when you first get the balls to do it, you typically will dabble in an open mic. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully you do enough of those to get better and people will start giving you spots maybe in a showcase to do like more time, like 10, 15 minutes. And then once you like really hone in, I would say a tight 15, you can have opportunities at the clubs to host or feature. And then once you're doing that for a while, you have to have at least 45 minutes of material to be a headliner and good. Right. So uh, those would kind of be the different levels. And then you go from a headliner wherever you're at, and now you're a headliner who can tour regionally. Now you're a headliner who can tour nationally. Now you're a headliner who can tour, tour globally. Then you go from bar shows to theat- small theaters to big theaters to arenas. And where would you say you fit in that? So I am on this cusp of I'm definitely touring globally before the pandemic, I had just finished my Australian-Canadian tour. Mm. Um, back on tour now in the U.S. And I am somewhere between national touring in the clubs and in the theaters. So my tour schedule right now is half clubs, half theaters. Um, and it has been a climb. I've gone from shitty, rundown house living rooms in Detroit <laughs> Mm. where your green room somebody's bedroom <laughs> to where I'm at now and it's like cool to continue to watch it grow and do it how many years not trying to date you but how many hey. years <laughs> have I been doing comedy yeah. this is my 12th year oh yeah okay so break down I know this is probably just like a topic that everyone asks but break down like the LM thing right so I was just from the outside looking in, especially because I haven't been able to go to comedy shows yet so I'm just trying to figure out like like it's easy for me because especially because I'm in like the music scene to be like okay this is where they 
how like one artist collabed with this producer or met this uh, A&R or whatever, and that's how they got to this level. So from the outside, not being able to go to any of your shows, it kind of seemed that you went on Ellen and that's how your career started. But I'm guessing that's definitely not, especially if you've been doing it for 12 plus years. Yeah, so I was definitely doing comedy before I was on the show. But ways to move up in comedy, you don't you don't often just um, just start doing that. Like You definitely have to have some sort of like big break. And what most comics will do is a late night set on late night TV like Fallon or Conan or um, any of those shows have comedians on who will do like a five minute set. And that will be like a really good credit for you to then start doing more with it. Um, I didn't do late night. I was gifted to be on Ellen. However, it wasn't for comedy. Right. They had me on for a, a video that I did that went viral of when I was playing a prank on my students, which I was still teaching at the time. And it was great. Where'd you post it? Facebook. Here's a funny thing, too. People okay. like they definitely wanted to angle it as an accident like right that's what i was feeling yeah but that's not true because i made a very conscious choice to flip the switch from private to public so i knew this had potential and i knew it could take me places so Mm. uh but when they invited me on the show and they were like we're gonna just like talk about teaching like we're not gonna talk about your comedy and i was like no problem this is great for me for my comedy regardless i can make it work really yeah yeah so the really cool thing is they told me like hey don't get like offended if ellen doesn't like make time for you like she might get up and fix her hair or uh, go over her lines or something like that just don't worry about it she stayed in her seat and in between commercial breaks she turned to me and she was like hey I heard you do comedy oh. and I was like yeah I do and she goes well I want to let you know I think you're very funny and I was like oh thanks and oh. she goes no I don't think you understand you're very funny you need to do something with that and I was like, <laughs> like oh my god this person who I've idolized forever is telling me that I have potential in this field. And that's what lit a fire under my ass to go even farther. So it could have been superficial, but it turned out to be something. Yeah, it was not superficial. That's exciting. It was really cool. It was really, really cool. And really put me, uh, it told me that if this person believes in your comedy, like you can take it to the next level if you want it. And I knew that if I didn't take advantage of this moment, it would be 15 minutes of fame and that's it. And, I said, or I could capitalize and double down on this right now and go, 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 go. And I did. I kept writing and I wrote more and more, had more time to travel, mm-hmm. more time to tour, and started just popping into clubs doing more time until I got uh, to the point where I am now. And But you started out as a teacher. Like, Did you go to school, like college, to become a teacher? And then how did comedy? So I actually, the funny story, I was actually a stand-up comic um, for my third grade talent show when I was in third grade, so eight That's years hilarious. old. Yeah, so it's all, all comedy has always been a dream. Grew up in a comedy house. We were always watching comedy. Dude, your your podcast with your mom is a funny, I, I'm so happy you get to produce that. It's so funny to watch you laugh at it, too. <laughs> it is really funny. That's the other one. But she, you can tell she very much, my whole family was behind me with this dream. Um but they didn't want me to like major in it or or mm. or not go to school. So um, I went to school for teaching because I love it. I do genuinely love it. Um, but I started comedy around the same time. So in college, I was like doing improv and like a little bit of sketch writing. And Where'd you go to some college? Stand- I went to Central Michigan University, okay. which is like the middle of Michigan. <laughs> and I uh, loved it, but was still doing comedy. And then um, my senior year... 
I was up at school, but got a weekly gig in Detroit, which is two and a half hours away. And I was driving every Sunday to do the gigs, then back to school to be at class on Monday, just because I really wanted to do this. And I did. And um, it paid off. And I just always did the grind, always was doing shows, doing sets, because I don't know if you know this, but teachers are poor. Oh, really? I don't know if you knew. But being able to do like $10 spots, $20 spots was letting me put gas in my car Mm. so I could physically get to work because I would spend like my first paycheck would come in and spend it on all my bills. And then the day after I'd have my paycheck, I'd be like, do I put gas in my car or buy groceries? Like this is and I'm not that's not an exaggeration for humor. Like that's where my life was. So doing comedy gave me a little bit of money to just ride that edge out and, and live. That's crazy. It is crazy. It's really crazy. I feel like so many people feel like people just blow up overnight. You know, it takes ten years to make a to be a hit, right? Damn. Yeah, the ten years to make be an overnight success. I think is the saying. But you had no idea you'd end up on Ellen. Like, what did you expect with the? Like, when you made it public, like your post, was it just to have more teachers here? Like, what did you think was going to happen? I knew it would make people laugh and I knew it would make a lot of people laugh. And I knew that it was timeless because there's always going to be April Fool's. It's evergreen because you're always going to have teachers and students and funny relationships like that. And then it was appropriate. So it was highly shareable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew with those elements involved, this had potential to be seen a lot of places. What that meant at the time, I don't know if I knew. Right. Did I think it would go as viral as it did? No. We had 20 million views overnight on that video. That's wild. I was, I would literally at the time turn on the news and I was on every single news station just like this funny video happened. Like there's viral. Like, okay. Like, let me tell you this right now. TikTok has ruined the mindset of what it means to be viral. Let's get into this. Because (laughs) people will say... There are like levels to virality. You go virality, you go viral within your niche, right? And then you go viral outside that. And then people hit a million views and they're like, I'm I'm viral. I had this video go viral. You might have seen it. It's like, did you? Because then there's viral when your media goes into another source of media. So if your TikTok can go into, it's now being posted on Instagram pages. Okay, you're doing something there. But when your video goes from wherever you posted it first to all sorts of media. So I was on the Snapchat like daily main page. I was on Instagram highlight reel on the Discover page. Like this video was everywhere and then went from the internet to news stations locally to news stations nationally. And that was Michigan at that. You were still in Michigan. Yeah. And then I'm on like Good Morning America and then I'm getting invites from this video to be on global television shows like viral <laughs> that is like and I'm not I'm not trying to toot my own horn I'm just trying to paint the picture of like yeah what like really going viral is but now people on TikTok are like oh I've got a million views I'm viral I went viral it's like did you though yeah and I don't know I don't think a TikTok I don't think a TikTok following holds the same weight as other platforms 100 percent. so I've been I um I hate TikTok but like I've had some of my previous guests have gotten deals from TikTok or like um, when I did my my L.A. tour, I literally did one of my episodes out of a TikTok mansion. It was like 
they had their fucking YouTube plaques on in their studio and everything. I recorded out of the what studio. What was that like? That was so funny. But was it, was it like, what house was it like? Oh fuck. Um, do you know? Do you have TikTok? Yeah, a lot. Like, do you? <laughs> <laughs> shitting on TikTok. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not shitting on it. I'll tell you that I personally think that it doesn't hold the same weight, and yes. I I believe that for even my followers on TikTok. But I'm not gonna sleep on those followers. My main Correct. motivation with TikTok is I know it's predominantly a younger fan base, and I'm always gonna hone into the youngest fan base because they'll grow with you, and I'm always about the long term. Yeah. So I'm not gonna sleep on it. I'm not gonna take it for granted. I will continue to cater to those fans. But it's marketing. But I'll that's tell what social you, media is. is yeah. Marketing. TikTok actually helped blow my podcast up. That was really uh, cool. But anyway, continue. Where was this? Was it the you, hype house or something? Do you know the sync? The sync. No. So they're like they're basically like TikTok's TMZ. Oh shit, that's scary. And they like so they interview like TikTok artists or TikTok influencers and they just talk about anything like drama field. Like they were like I went when I went to their house, they left like they literally left me alone at the house with like one just one of the TikTok dudes. There's like six of them or something. And all the rest of them went to Did you hear about the Adrian's kickback thing in LA? No, tell me. Oh, there was like this was like in June, May, May, June, like 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 thousands of kids like went to like this beach in in LA and it got shut down because of COVID and all that. But like people were like jumping the fences and all that shit. And, and it's like, because of a TikTok. Yeah, and uh, like, yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. people were like, let's let's make um, Adrian's birthday a like success or whatever. And then everyone on TikTok that saw that like just stormed the fucking LA beach. It was crazy. Ay ay ay. But um, anyways, after being in their TikTok house and I'm like they're they're fucking nineteen. And they're making a fuck ton of money just talking about other people's TikTok shit. It's kind of, it's wild. That is wild. And they, they blew up over the span of like three months. And they have a fucking manager living in LA. Like, But also think about this, like any of these forms of social media could go like that. Look yeah. at Vine. Like it was there and then it was not there. Exactly. And like... I I I love that for them. Like I think that that's fantastic that they found a way to capitalize on that. But like that could leave at any time. So unless you're doing something outside of that, yeah, I brought. You God, know, I feel like a fucking dad. Do you know who Ramin Nazer is by any chance? Why do I? Why do I know that he name? He has a he has a podcast with Shane Moss, and um, he's close to like Duncan Trussell, and like that's the type of like group I kind of want to be in. So I've had Ramin on the podcast. He's been on my podcast, and he's mm -hmm. a stand up comedian as well. Mm -hmm. And I had him go to the sink house to do the episode. Was he like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, because that's the shit. Like, that's the shit he makes fun of. Like, fun of with Shane Moss all the time, like right. TikTok and shit like that. What's but, he big on on social media? Yeah, or he just has in... a he has a pretty big Instagram following. He's really into um like. Did, did you watch Duncan Trussell's like Midnight Gospel show? I don't think I did. It was, What's his name? Ramin. Yeah, R A M I N N A Z E R. Got him. Hi, Ramin. Ramin's dope, but um. He's like he does like these. He's a um, graphic designer. Oh, comedian. his stuff's really cool, actually. He's dope. But um, anyways, after being at the TikTok house, I was like determined to try to go viral on TikTok after that, and mm -hmm. I did. I, I figured out. I figured out what it takes to like. Crack so the code. yeah, so I have like four different TikTok accounts. I'll explain the whole story. But I, I, right now, I have four different TikTok accounts. But I had one at the time, and I started realizing the people that are going viral, most of them. You're just fucking doing duets or copying other people's shit. Like yeah, it's not shoot even me in the face. It's not even like or they or they like literally like post um T 
TV clips or something, or it's, it's not, it's, or dance or TikTok dance or whatever. Not, most of this stuff isn't unique content mm-hmm. or original. So what I started doing is I'd post, um, I made this thing called band ads. So I'd post like edgy ads from the early 2000s or 90s. Some were actually banned, some would just wouldn't be PC nowadays. And But because I knew that the audience checking in would be like little kids and they'd be like, oh my gosh, this is craziness. So my, one of my, some of my videos blew up and I gained a ton of followers. I was like, oh shit. So I figured out how to do it. Like like one of my videos had yeah, over a million views. But what I noticed with that is just because, and what I would do, I'd post like podcast clips and like the band ads. So I got my podcast clips would start blowing up as well as the band ads. But what I started noticing is that it definitely didn't hold the same weight. None of those TikTok people, even though I had my Instagram, my website, any links to the podcast on my Instagram, on the TikTok profile, like absolutely like no one would go over to my Instagram or check out my podcast. Maybe like one or two people would try to contact me on Instagram to be like, you should post this band ad. But no one was like, oh shit, let me check out this podcast. Well, it's true. You'll go to somebody who has like 7 million followers and then you go to their Instagram, which they have linked and it says in their thing, follow me on Instagram. And then you go to their Instagram and they have like 27,000. It's like, this doesn't work. And then also, I just got to say this, pet peeve, huge pet peeve, two things. One, when people hit these like, if you've done this before, I'm not talking about you. You're allowed to do these things. You hit X amount of followers and then you post this picture with the golden balloons of that number of how many followers you've you've seen this before. Uh, it's like they have those big golden oh, balloons. Oh, like in person? And it'll say like 100,000 then they like pose in oh, front of it. God. I'm like, literally, you make me want to drink bleach. Then second is oh, when people God. have in their Instagram bios... Like 100K on TikTok. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> yes. Like, shut up. Oh, this is not God. TikTok. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. And I digress. No, I get that. Like, when I was in LA, I was only there for a week for the tour and I, I hated LA. Like, I, I it's the first time I'd been there, like, not with family and just being there as my own person. And I was like, first of all, it's smoggy. There's like nothing is sacred in LA. Like I was going on hikes and there are fucking mansions in the trails and shit. I was like, what the fuck? What did you do? What's that hike called again? I forgot the name there of were it. A few it's like of them. famous. Everyone does it. They're like, I'm going to hike the blah 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 trail. It's like the one with the with the um like sky tower or whatever at the top okay. of it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And everyone like gets off at this. I'm like, bitch, this ain't a hike. Yeah. This, yeah in yeah, Seattle yeah. we call this the sidewalk. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the observer you're talking about the observatory yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Runyon. Runyon yeah. Canyon. It's like that stuff is um it's so fake. But anyways so fake. I was on I'm so what is it? Is it the Santa Monica Pier with all of, like the rides? Yeah. Yeah. So I was on the beach and you know how there's like all those like there's like those swings and people doing like ribbon dancing and all that crazy stuff on the beach. Like homeless people just chill out there. It's, it's like it's crazy people down there. It's yep. dope. But anyways, I was sitting like on a bench on the side, and, you know, there's like a bike trail right through the beach. And like these group of girls put on like roller skates and skateboards and they had absolutely no idea how to use them. And meanwhile, they had a fucking camera team with them videotaping them like full on camera on the shoulder and shit. I'm like, what the fuck? You guys are just doing this for TikTok. Like they they didn't even know how to put on the roller skates. They're sl- they literally slipped off the sla- skateboard. Slipped off the skateboard. I was like, what the hell? I can't. I, I 
I can't. God bless America, where <laughs> everyone thinks they can do whatever they want. You can't. Yeah, but that's that's society right now. But um, TikTok, right? <laughs> TikTok, my man. TikTok. I mean, but again, but again, no hate on it. Yeah. Because like, there have been some people who have been very, very, very successful at what they do and have been able to very wisely move it into another medium. Yeah. Which I'm like all about too, but. These people quit their jobs and stuff. And I'm just like, yo, 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 yo. When did you Careful. quit your job? So honestly, I would say that this would be my first official year. Ooh. Isn't that wild? So the first year that I left the classroom, I went on tour. When was this? 2019. Ooh. So then the pandemic happened. And then I was just sitting on my ass. And I was like, what do I do? And I have a skill in degrees. And I like teaching. And then a school next to me opened up more sections of kindergarten to make the class sizes smaller. So I applied and got it. Mm. It was the best year I've ever had in my whole teaching career. And I love teaching still, even mm. though I'm a comic and I'm cynical about teaching, <laughs> which we'll get into that. But um, you got the, when we were just producing your other podcast, you're like that little hoe. And it's like a fucking four year old. <laughs> <laughs> well, call him like a CM. So the thing is, though, is that. Um, there was like a, a need for teachers. Like pe- older teachers were leaving because they were scared of what my students call the Ramona virus. They were scared <laughs> of that. So I just went in. I was like, put me in coach. And I did it. It was amazing. And then this year, I was offered to come back. In Seattle? Yeah. And I said, and and I was also, I knew I was going to be heavily touring. And I didn't think that was appropriate to like go be somewhere over the weekend, fly back and then teach on Monday. Like those kids' parents would be so worried that their teacher is traveling and exposed to all this mm. and then they come back. And I knew there would be other staff members who would just not be comfortable with it because I probably wouldn't have been comfortable with it. So I was like, I think this is my year to like quadruple down on comedy and take it from big to bigger. Yeah. And I am and it's been very successful and I'm I'm proud of what I'm producing. But if it wasn't, if there wasn't a pandemic, do you think you would have, or is that? Just yeah, a, I think really? there. Yeah, there was going to be a time where it had to happen because the the truth of the matter is too is I was also getting before I left, I was getting to the point where I was not able to do both fantastically. I was like decent at both, but until I gave one up, I could not be great at one. Right. And I was cutting corners with the kids. I was gone all the time. I'm like, they deserve a teacher who's always present, and for me to recognize that. And realized that I had this other, was given this gift to be successful in this career that the vast majority of people will never see this level of success. I was like, you have to seize this moment. And I did. And what is, what is any of this have happened if you were on Ellen, do you feel like? Or would it have taken longer? Or? I owe her almost everything for that exposure. Like, that's what really made my career. Could I have done it without that? I mean, maybe maybe but i'm just so indebted to her generosity to allow me to have this platform now that i can't even think about what it would be like without that moment mm. you know um were there any cons of it though of being on the show yeah uh, oh yeah like my superintendent told me i wasn't allowed to go i was like yeah fuck yourself i'm going like you're not going to tell me that i'm going to deny this life-changing opportunity um wow lots of skepticism a lot of jealousy uh, but you got, I have thick skin. I'm from Detroit. Try me. You yeah. know what I mean? I got this. And I do. But did you think it like typecast you a little bit? Like Ellen's 
gay, you're gay, does it just put you in this like box where people only see you as this gay guy who got an opportunity by another person in the LGBTQ plus community? I don't feel like that because I just truly am myself. And the other thing, too, is you have to to be successful. You have to really hone in on who you're talking to. And I know that the people that I talk to, the vast majority is teachers. My bread and butter is like millennial moms. That's really who my fan base is. Mm. But also a big section of that is the gays. And when I can speak to them and those things, when they overlap, a gay teacher is like really what matters. Right. When you can speak to them, like, I don't give a fuck what other people think. Like, I don't care if they like think that this is all I can do. I can do way more when given the opportunity and I have the credentials to prove it. But I love being able to do that because not everybody can. Right. You know, you got to you got to know what makes you unique and not be scared to go for that. And without risk, there's no reward. So I always choose the risky side. So you understand your demographics. It's like necessary. See, that's the thing. That's why that's the reason why the NAS podcast is like artists and not just like I think it it could be easy to say like NAS podcast could just be this type of like a hip hop podcast or a band podcast, but I, I want it to be like all artists cuz I feel like like I said before, there could be so much overlapping and there's so much people can learn from comedy and I feel like artists no matter what genre don't really know how to completely where I had a I had a fucking um streetwear brand on 2 days ago. And they didn't know they don't really understand their demographic even. I feel mm. like you being an entertainer is like a business, so you probably oh. you have to understand your your demographic. Show business. If you don't get the business side, you're only doing half of it. Yeah. Do you? I don't know if you're familiar with the band Matt and Kim at all. Mm-hmm. Matt and Kim, they're great. Um, I've loved them forever. I've been to like nine of their shows. Damn. I had them on my podcast, and we like connected and became friends. Um, but it was really neat to talk to them about like the similarities of like touring as a musical act and touring as a comedian. And we both talked about that moment where you play like for them, it was, um, Lollapalooza. Mm. And they said when they first did Lala, they looked out there and just were like overtaken by, I can't believe this is real. And when I, whenever I get on a bigger stage than what I was on this last, I am the same thing. I look out there and I'm like, this is nuts. It's cool. And at what point do you need like a, an agent or a manager for comedy? When you want to go bigger than where you're at. Mm. But what, what what's bigger than where you're at? Like you don't need one if you're in a club, or do you need one at that point? Or yeah, I mean, if you want to get out of the clubs, I mean, if you want mm. if you want to get out of your hometown, you know, there like you can you can do it on your own for a while. But what having reps does is it opens your doors to so many connections that you you will never get on your own because the way that Hollywood is built is a little bit, I don't want to use the word gatekeepy, but it's made so that other people make money also. Like, I would never have spoken to the networks that I have spoken to about other projects that I want to do had my agents not introduced me and my managers introduced me because networks don't just talk to people. They go straight to agents and say, who do you got? We're looking for a take on something that might be like this. What do you got? And then you do it. I would have never had that door open had I not been represented, right? right. And same, I have my my agents are amazing. My my agents work so hard for me. You don't really, most of the time, you don't really get an agent until your manager introduces you. Until your manager says, "Here are some connections that I have that we can get you into." So it's all working together, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're what I would say, if you're a comic and you're starting to travel outside of your city and you're doing spots um, in other places than just where you're from, 
and with the exception of New York and L.A., it's probably time to get representation so that you can take it to the next level. And what, what do you think of like L.A. after being from Detroit? Um, I think there will be a point in my career where I'm going to have to choose L.A. or New York. Like if I got on a show or something or I was a, had my own show or something like that, I'm not going to do the commute. I had to choose. I'd probably choose L.A. because of the weather. Love New York because of the culture. Um, but it all depends on what you really want to do. Like if you really want to take your comedy and move out of live and start doing more like television or movie work, then you've got to go to L.A. And that's right? what you want to do? or uh, Yeah, I've actually um, I'm in the process of writing a sitcom right now oh. that will eventually be ready to pitch to networks if they want to buy it. But that's going to. I'm going to be spending months in LA to try to make this And do you happen. want to be on that sitcom or you just want yeah, to Yeah, it? it's it's like um, the blueprint is loosely based on my life. It follows okay. a a gay teacher who has to navigate that and is closeted when they're at work, but mm-hmm. not in their regular life. So they have to uh, constantly be code switching between the two people that they are. Damn. So when did you know you wanted to, is it just, you just built up like your comedy and you realized there's more to or do com- comedians know like the next goal is to be on shows? Or I would assume that it's kind of like music. You just kind of, as you're doing it, you start to realize that they're, oh, I could do this thing. And, oh, these artists do this. Like, I could do that. And then you start to realize, oh, okay, I can get involved in. Start right. to write a little bit. See if you're good at it. Do you even enjoy it? And then how did the podcast come into play? Oh, podcasting for me was I was I had a different podcast that I just let fall at the wayside because it was shit. Uh, and um, are the episodes still up somewhere? I don't even know. I don't. What's the name of it? Oh man, Study Hall. Okay, so kind of like social studies, but um, I was not taking it seriously. I was only putting like maybe an episode a month and not consistently. Right. Um. Social studies was like a pandemic project. Oh. Yeah. I started it um, right before the pandemic and wasn't sure if I was going to really soar with it. I started in February of 2020. Mm. And then the pandemic started. I was like, I need something to keep doing. Did the podcast. Stuck with it. Loved it. And it was just a creative outlet for me. And I've loved it. It's been great. How did you understand uh, the importance of like getting on Patreon? I feel like some podcasters don't know when... the next step is to go on Patreon or if they should start right away or I didn't want to do it for the longest time. But then you kind of got kind of reflect and understand like your self-worth. And I realized I'm giving so much time to these listeners for 100% for free, mm-hmm. actually going into the negative because I pay for an editor and they are getting something out of listening to this joy or an experience or an escape. And I you know, if it was anything other than podcasting, you would have a ticket for something like this. And to realize, you know, there's a small price to pay for me to continue to do this. Um, and I was talking to other podcasters and comics who do it. And it's like incredible and really helps you sustain that art form. Right. Um, and when I really was like, OK, I'll get into this. I did it. And it was I, there were so many people who were even asking me, can I pay more mm. just to support it because they love it that much? And I was like, wow, this is pretty this is pretty great. So I kept my prices pretty cheap. Like if you can help, help. If not, I get it. Yeah. But um I appreciate my Patreon followers so much for believing in what I'm doing. Dude, you have like a genuine following too, which is fucking wild how like It's kinda crazy, right? And what is that? It's just 
you just know how to you just interact with them or what do you do to make sure i'm a fans person okay i love to talk with them meet and greets were my favorite thing before the pandemic and i love to um i love to give them i like to share i've always been a a stage sharer Mm. that's like if another comic messages me um and they want to do some time on my show i'm usually gonna take a look at their stuff and say yes um but i like what i do with my fans is give them a little bit of a Like, I want this to feel like your podcast. So I'm constantly asking them for their stories so I can read your experience on the podcast. And when you when you do that, it like that's what really set it to the next level, too, because they felt like it they have a little bit of ownership over it. That's so inspiring. Like, that's that's the I don't know if it's. You can say it's the hardest part or the easiest part, but like finding that following and making sure they grow with you. Yeah. Yeah. Making sure that, and that's the biggest thing too, making sure they grow with you. I would say 90% of the time it's give and 10% is ask, Mm. you know? So like I'm constantly doing what I think they're going to be most into. And then 10% I'll say, you know, will you, will you buy tickets to my show? (laughs) Will you watch my show? Will you become a Patreon fan? You know? And, Rick, Rick, down that what happened during the meeting greets during the pandemic. <sighs> I got COVID. Oh, I got COVID, which was terrible. It was the it was my first show back on the road. I was fully vaccinated, ready to rock. Florida, of course. <laughs> and two days later, after my first show, I've tested positive for COVID, which really stuck up. Uh, a nerve struck a nerve with me because overnight 18 shows the one thing i love more than anything ripped out from under my feet gone damn uh because of this thing and then still we were like masked and everything and still got covid um so now yeah i don't do them anymore i don't do them anymore until until we're in like a real good place like i'm talking like real good real good <laughs> then then we're not doing me and greats but i do love my fans and i hope that we can meet and take pictures uh next time around yeah how do you feel about covid like what are your what are your, what are your beliefs of what's going to happen in the next couple months or years or i don't really know uh, there are a lot of times I, I like to be a forward thinker, but not on that, right. you know, because I like I, I'm going to go with how this is going to go and <laughs> hope to God this goes away sooner than later. But I feel like it, we've spent two years so hopeful that it's going to change so soon. and It just doesn't yeah. where now I'm just like, all right, tell me what we got to do next. And I'm very like pro what we have to do to make it stop. Like I changed. I don't do meet and greets anymore. Most of my shows are vax up, mask up. And I'm trying to do my part too, but there I do have haters in the DMs who are like, "You shouldn't be on the road at all." I'm like, oh, "Basically, what you're saying is I shouldn't have Money. the ability to put dinner on my table." Like, think about this for a second, which is why I put it in my ticket holders' hands. Like, you don't have to buy a ticket. And a lot of people write me; they say, "I'm so sorry, I can't come this time around," uh, and that's their choice, and I respect that too, um, because you you can't just not live. You can't just not like live your life out of fear and out of other things, but you can take the right precautions to do things safely. And unfortunately, that only goes so far. But I believe that what I'm doing is uh, the safest way I can do it. Yeah. And conquer my goals and continue to make a living. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What, what do you think about the Seattle com- comedy scene here? It's different. It's different. It's a lot um, wokier. Oh. Wokier, which is fine. I mean, I'm not. I'm not against it by any means. But I've seen a lot of 
the same jokes recycled where everyone's trying to have like a really important message. And it's like, well, sometimes we can just like laugh. Yeah. You know, about like your life and something unique that happened to you. It doesn't always have to be um have some deep impact, which when it does and it hits, I think that's fantastic. But I feel like a lot of the times some comics uh try to do what they think people are gonna like more than what they can produce, which Seattle being so amazingly liberal as it is, I feel like they just try to like tap in what they think these people will enjoy. Right. Where it's like, just be you and whatever that is, they're going to love it. And you don't have to worry about that because you like, you, you're right from your, like your experiences. So that's, I, that, that's literally what I talk about. Just like gay teacher walking the world and what happens there. Do you think in the future we'll eventually not have to say like gay, straight or whatever and we'll just be people? Yeah, maybe. maybe. But also, like, I don't mind it. Like, I think <laughs> I, I like I like the things that make people different. Like, I thrive off of, like, learning, like, why you're different than me. Uh-huh. And, like, how, how have you seen the world? And I think that's cool. So I think, like, if everyone, like, honestly was the same and there was, like, no difference in people, that like, it seems, like, so vanilla, like, so boring to me. You know, I, I yeah. think, like, culture is why we understand the world and why we enjoy it, you know? But maybe if there's like more equality, there'll be like different culture that comes out of it. Potentially, potentially. But being unique is amazing, also. True. You know. Well, uh, do you have any uh, advice? You dropped a lot of gems, and I think um, <laughs> I've had a good time talking to you. Like... I had a good time talking to you. Thanks for having <laughs> me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. No advice other than, uh, <laughs> you know, be yourself, I guess, and that goes for music and comedy too. You know, you said earlier, too, a lot of people like hear this specific sound and like try to resonate that to get popular. And it's yeah. like, I, I feel like in any walk of life, if you do you and your shit's unique, like that's when that shit pops. Like there are not a lot of other com- comics who talk about teaching like the way I do, which is why I think my shit works. Then it's even more micro specific gay teacher, you know, and I'm just doing me. If you just are true to you, like you soar. Um but other than that, check me out online, Mr. D times three on all social media. That's why, my website. Why times three? Um, it what I do lie to people sometimes and tell them I'm a triplet, but I like you, so I won't. <laughs> I was teaching third grade and it rhymed. Times three, Mr. <laughs> D times three. There it is. <laughs> there we go. Well, uh, this is the NAS podcast with Joe Dombrowski. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, Blake. There we go. And we did it. We did it.